I'm Liz with TeachStone, and this is Teaching with Class. On today's episode, we're answering your questions on instructional support, from how to promote creating and how to improve whole group time, to choosing where to focus your coaching conversations. help us with instructional support, I brought in Leanne and Vicki to answer all of your questions. And we'll start with Vicki, a class specialist here. All right. Hi, Vicki. Hi, Liz. Before I ask you some really tough questions about instructional support, can you um, introduce yourself a little bit? Yeah. So I am Vicki Kittner Duffy, and I am a class specialist at Teachstone and have been here for about seven years. And love all things class um, and I'm so excited to talk about instructional support today. When I first started this podcast, the first thing you said that you'd, the, the, the first episode you said you'd be on was on instructional support. So why, why instructional support? Oh yeah, um, I love instructional support um, and I think, you know, there's always fantastic moments in the classroom in, in any kind of interaction. Um, but just those moments when the teacher and child are really engaged and you see the light switch for the child and even sometimes for the teacher of they understand something more deeply, they understand each other more deeply. Um, you know, those are, those are so exciting. And um, I think it's always, although the whole tool is dynamic, you know, that's just the, the domain where I'm always learning more. And it is especially in my life right now because I have a four-year-old and I'm always trying out new questions and new ways of, of thinking about things. And so um, sometimes she likes it and sometimes she doesn't. <laughs> All right. Well, I will, I'll start with this first question that um, I feel like I've seen a couple times in different formats and I think is probably a, a common feeling people have. And so it says, my teacher scored an average of five in emotional support and classroom organization and a two in instructional support. I've been told by others to focus on emotional support and classroom organization first, but that seems silly with scores so much higher. What do you think? Um, I think there's there's so many parts to this uh, question and to this answer, and I guess I you know I just thought of this too that first they you know do know that this is around the national average, so this is kind of where um, we tend to be just as a country of around this moderate to high quality in emotional support and classroom organization and lower in instructional support. So mm -hmm. one, just knowing you're not alone in this. Mm -hmm. You're not alone in this. But I want to first kind of, I, I have a little bit of a soapbox around children's cognitive development. And the, the issue is that I think we really underestimate children's cognitive abilities. Mm -hmm. um, as a side note, I think we overestimate their emotional abilities, but that's a different podcast. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and so like there are studies that, um, that show how infants understand probability, they understand language, more words than we know that they understand, um, or that we think that they understand even as young as six months old. And so kids' brains are amazing. Um, and so, you know, when I was in grad school, the way that we had talked about this was about their competence versus their performance. So in a lot of ways, children, young children are more competent than we um, think that they are. Um, they just can't necessarily per perform those things yet. So they don't have the expressive vocabulary yet, or they don't have the motor skills to um, 
show you how they understand um, they need to stack this tower. I think the main thing there, I just want to say that, I guess I've already said it, but their brains are just constantly processing complex information, taking in language. Um, and so we just want to be thoughtful about that. Um, and I think that's where sometimes we get stuck in the rote kinds of questions because we um, assume that they can't go to this really deep kind of thinking and they can. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think we do need to, we want to think about child and teacher readiness in the interactions and be really sensitive to the cues that the children are giving us. But basically sometimes I think we need to check ourselves first and say, oh, you know what? I, they might be more ready than I think they are. Um, so that's a, a long <laughs> um, soapbox on just instructional support in general. Um, but so thinking about this in terms of teacher professional development, um, I actually agree with, with this question and thinking about um, sometimes our tendency is to go towards emotional support and classroom organization first. And, but I think sometimes we get stuck in expecting perfection there mm -hmm. um, when there actually is a lot of growth to be had, a lot of interest, a lot of excitement, a, a, a lot of fear around instructional support that we can start to work with, with teacher professional development. And so there's a study from the original my teaching partner study in pre-k that shows that the more that coaches and teachers focused on instructional support the more their emotional support and classroom organization scores improved you know we're we're doing a disservice if we think that you know we can't ever go into instructional support until we're getting six and sevens in emotional support and classroom organization that said there are times when that focus on emotional support or classroom organization is needed as a starting point. So, you know, you may see a teacher who's lower in regard and has difficulty following the student's leads, really waiting, um, providing that wait time for children to process an, an information. It's going to be a little bit harder for that teacher to have a back and forth exchange. Mm -hmm. and so you may want to start there, um, but not at the expense of instructional support. You know, you can start thinking about regard and then move into language modeling rather than having to go through each dimension in order. Mm -hmm. um, you know, another Classic example is when a teacher is spending all of her time redirecting and putting out fires, then yes, she absolutely is probably going to need some more support in behavior management, um, instructional learning formats, maybe some productivity before she's able to take on um, concept development or quality of feedback. If they're scoring a, a five, that's probably not a teacher who's putting out fires left and right. They have some, some strategies. Absolutely. So you, yeah, so it's again, it's not that you're necessarily going to ignore the other things, but actually that might be a great place to say, okay, you know, you really have, have a lot of these great strategies already in the other domains. We can come back to those, but maybe let's get into instructional support a little bit. Let's think of those things. And um, I know we have a course in, in the resource library that kind of talks about one way to do that of like finding in those lower scores or in those lower dimensions like find something that they did do well and mm -hmm. build from there so that you're still using that strength-based approach but you can still you can focus on those lower lower scores um so i think though in the end you know it it's a little tricky because it all depends on the specific situation so what is the teacher's openness what are their interests? What are their knowledge level, their individual strengths and needs? 
the children in their classroom? Um, mm -hmm. What kinds of, is it that you, you can see that they just need to tweak one routine and then they're going to be able to kind of be a little bit more ready for instructional support? You know, I think some of those kinds of things we need to think through when we're making that decision. So while I will say absolutely go do some instructional support, you know, it's going to vary by teacher. And one of the other things that I've seen to be really effective is actually to focus on two specific behaviors at once, like one from the emotional support and classroom organization domains and one from instructional support. So you might think about, um, okay, let's look at awareness and teacher sensitivity and then scaffolding and quality feedback. And so how do you um, think, help the teacher think about, well, what cues do you notice that you need to provide scaffolding to a child? And then let's think about how you provide that scaffolding. And so doing both of those at the same time and really helping them kind of start to see how those, those dimensions support each other. So it's not even instructional support in isolation, but really in the reality of their classroom. We'll come back to Vicki in just a moment to ask her some more questions and get some more really specific examples from her. But let's take a moment to turn to Leanne with a more manual-focused question. Hi, Leanne. Hi. Thanks for coming in today. Uh, we have some really good questions about instructional support and one that was really specific to the manual. And so I thought of you. Um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your role here? Yeah, my name is Leanne Minnis. Um, I am an associate production editor on Teach Students content team. And basically what I do is I review materials before we publish them. All right, well, I'll uh, jump into the question. So it says, I know there was a recent discussion about this topic, but I'd like more clarification. In the pre-K and K-3 manual, in order to score in the high range, it says, quote, the teacher often repeats or extends the student's responses. Based on this explanation, does this mean that a teacher can score high on this indicator even if he or she only repeats responses during the observation cycle? Yeah, so the short answer is yes. Um, I was really excited to notice this question because we recently discussed it during one of our master coding sessions, and so I'm really happy to elaborate. So. Yes, a teacher can score high on the repetition and extension indicator, even if they only repeated responses and didn't extend at all. I just wanted to point out also that the issue is clarified in the long range descriptions. So I think my first recommendation is to check out your manual first. The answers are always in the long range descriptions and they're not in the face pages or the dimensions or whatever else may seem like an easier reference than the manual. Um, so if you're stumped about repetition and extension while you're coding, I think the first thing you should do is to pause and think, just think broadly about what kinds of evidence, um, regardless of dimension or indicator, mean mid-range and what kinds of evidence mean high range. Um, at the most basic level, you know, you would say mid. Mid means you see some effective evidence and high means you see abundance, an abundance of it. After that, I suggest bringing it back to the question of the words and and or. Um, in the pre-K and K-3 manuals, the high range description of repetition and extension reads the teacher often repeats or extends the student responses. So 
yes, you could have a classroom where you see a ton of repetition and absolutely no extension or vice versa. Um, and that would indicate that the indicator of repetition and extension is in the high range because the manual basically states the teacher often repeats or extends the student's responses. And I know um, for those of you who um, are reliable on the multiple age levels, perhaps the toddler age level may notice that in the toddler manual, it states in the mid-range, the teacher sometimes repeats and slash or extends children's communication attempts in language. And then for the high range, the manual states a teacher, the teacher often repeats and extends children's communication attempts and language. So that's pretty different from what we see in the pre-K and K-3 age levels where um, in the mid-range you would pretty much see, um, you could see a lot of extension and a little bit or no repetition or the opposite or you could see some repetition and some extension. Um, and then in a toddler classroom where you see high range evidence for the repetition and extension indicator, you will, you'll see them both and you'll see them often. So yeah, I mean, I don't mean to sound uh, glib, but I think the easiest and the most effective way to find the answer to a lot of our coding questions is to check out the long range descriptions in our manual. They're definitely not as easy to read as say the face pages where um, we're, um, you know, it's a little bit easier to read than reading long paragraphs, but um, I suggest if those long descriptions feel like too much text at once, go through and just highlight the key points so you can reference those often. Um, and I also suggest thinking pretty holistically about the children's experience. Say, for example, in regard to repetition and extension, at the pre-K and K-3H levels, I would ask, are the teachers getting exposed to or excuse me, are the children getting exposed to repetition or extension consistently or is the evidence occasional? Um, because that's really what it comes down to. We're not, we're not rating teachers, we're rating classroom interactions. So, you know, check out the manual, read those long descriptions and consider what description best fits what the children are being, truly being exposed to through their interactions with their teachers. Awesome. Wow. That was a really thorough answer. Thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. This next question comes from a coach wondering about whole group. So we'll head back to Vicki. Can you give me some suggestions on large group circle time activities that would promote higher order thinking? My teachers are much better in small group and I struggle to give them ideas for whole group. Yeah, so um, I will say I am biased <laughs> in this because I um, am not a huge fan of large group circle time. So we often see, you know, sit down and go over all of the rope facts. Um, and, and so I would absolutely, you know, love to see classrooms get away from so much time spent in large groups. And, and I think you hear that in that question of my teachers are so much better in small group. Great. <laughs> Let's figure out how to do more of that. Figure out how to have more free play, more small groups where you can have more of those interactions. And, and I will say, I'm not totally against large group. There are lots of great things about it, but you know, it's just easier to have those more in-depth interactions with a few children at, at a time rather than a group of 20 children. And I think it can feel overwhelming when you are a teacher with 20 children and you see these videos where you're like, well, that's a great interaction, but it's one teacher and two students. You know, what are the other 18 doing? 
So it, it sounds like you think that coming up with the routines and the, the strategies to make sure that those other 18 students can be independent in their rotations or in their free play is what's most important. Absolutely, yeah. And that kind of goes back to what the, even the first question of thinking through how do you tweak some of those routines throughout the day so that you can have, you know, and think about instructional learning formats of how do you get them engaged in some self-directed play so that you can go around the room and have some of those more um, in-depth kind of interactions. But, so we still want an effective large group. <laughs> um, so here are just a few ideas and, and kind of as I was thinking about this of, of questions that I would ask a, a teacher to help them start to think about this. So, you know, I think the first thing is what is the purpose of large group time that, that you want the children to gain, gain from that large group? Is it a time to gather and greet one another? Great. Okay. So then that's a nice chance for integration, connections to real life. So questions might be, we talked yesterday, yesterday about recycling. Who noticed something that you could recycle at your house? Tell us about it. Is it a time to read a story together? Okay. That's a, a great time to have, you know, bring everybody together and enjoy that story. So, you know, read the story ahead of time. Think about some why and how questions you might ask or new vocabulary you might introduce. I've been reading Goldilocks to my daughter a lot and so we've had lots of questions of why did Goldilocks go in the bear's house in the first place? Why did baby bear's chair break? Uh, what would you have done if you found Goldilocks in your bed? What's porridge? You know that's a great one of oh it's kind of like oatmeal or grits or you know those sorts of things that you might eat at home. Is it a time to introduce a new concept? Okay, then really think of that time as brainstorming. Oh, okay, we're, we're talking about ocean animals. What kind of animals live in the ocean? How do they breathe? What do you think they eat? How can we learn more about marine life or, or ocean animals? Um, I, I think, you know, one of the things that we see here are either like questions of the day or KWL charts, concept mm -hmm. mapping. All of those are really great tools to, to use. So then you have some visuals along with your brainstorming session. I think the key here is sometimes we get stuck in teaching an entire concept and thinking like, okay, this is our 20 minutes to like teach to the kids. And so when we step away from that and think about it as like, no, this is just a place to like get thinking started. And then free play and small groups can be more of that place to explore and get into thing, those concepts in more depth. And that helps us get away from these group times that are less effective. Another opportunity for group time might be, or purpose of group time might be to summarize the day's learning and activity. So sometimes, you know, you have like a closing meeting or something. And so that's a great time to really bring the children in to evaluate, which is in that concept development dimension. So, oh, when Naya built a castle in the block center today, why did you decide to make a castle? Tell us how you built it. What happened at the castle? You know, and getting them to really summarize and think about what it was that they were doing. Um, so I think that's the first part is really getting at the purpose. And so, mm -hmm. and, and that maybe that you say, well, my purpose is I want them to, you know, know their letters and colors and, and numbers. Mm -hmm. And so then I would just challenge um, that coach and teacher to think about okay, how do, can we get away from that? Or how can we make that even, even deeper? What is it that we can, we want kids to know those things, but maybe large group time isn't the time to do that. We want challenge teachers and coaches to think about each part of the large group, what's working, what's not working, what is currently rote, and how might you kind of flip that to make it less 
road and, and get the children really talking and thinking. And I also like to think about like, what is the teacher most excited about and what is the child most excited about? Those are, I think, you know, where you're going to find those opportunities that you could have some really rich conversations if you let yourself go there. No, I think those are, are great examples. And I do think, you know, the tough thing with whole group is you can have five kids who seem really excited and you don't notice that you have 15 who are who are not engaged. Whereas if you had a small group with five students and those 15 students were doing something else, then you can engage even more with those five children that you do have and, and make sure that you're meeting the objectives that you went in with. Absolutely. And again, and then that goes back, everything's going back to that first question of mm -hmm. so then you're not having the behavior management issues. So mm -hmm. you can more on instructional support. Right. All right. Well, here's our last question. Uh, it says, this year I supported a teacher in the area of concept development, specifically increasing opportunities for creating. However, I had difficulty providing more than one or two strategies or examples for incorporating brainstorming and planning into lessons and activities. It'd be great to get some more ideas in this area. Um, I'm so excited about this mm -hmm. one because I love creating. Um, again, because it's you can just watch the kids and create and make up these things, generate their own ideas, and they have such surprising and exciting ideas. And so I think one of the things here is that can get in the way before we talk about examples is, is really thinking about when the teacher has too much of an agenda, what the children need to say or what they need to create. You know, when we think about brainstorming and planning, um, especially as, as children are just learning that skill, like we want to keep it really open. And so we, as teachers, and even as coaches, as you're in, uh, encouraging teachers to brainstorm, you know, try to be open and exhibit that genuine curiosity for where those ideas are going to go. And it may not be totally logical, right? <laughs> yeah, not ever get where you wanted it to go. Yeah, but the point of it is not necessarily to get to the right idea. Right. The point is to challenge those higher order thinking skills for the kids. And then that way it, it can become something that evolves. It can become something more enjoyable and something that's just more genuine than, okay, we need to brainstorm these things and make sure that we have the, the checklist, you know, side note. So one of those times that I've seen that is like, um, what are the clothes that you need to wear in the winter? So while that's a great question, you want kids to think about that, to know those things that can sometimes turn into like a brainstorming checklist eventually really generate you know teachers are like oh no you don't wear sandals okay you know and yes that that's important for the children to know and understand um you know i think what we want to try to work towards is that real genuine brainstorming of really coming up with their own ideas about things when i went to my training my trainer shout out to tamani said that she likes to think of instead of creating to think of it as inventing. You're just brainstorming a list of what you wear in the winter. You're not inventing. You're, you're listing. But if it's, if it's a question that can, can sound more like inventing, then you're really asking them to create something. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I've been reading a lot about like the making and engineering, like all of those kinds of things. That's definitely more of that creating. I love that. Um, I'm gonna steal that from me. <laughs> So in the spirit of brainstorming, and I, cause I do want to offer, I know that it's really helpful to actually just have some specific ideas. So mm -hmm. I'm just going to talk through some and I would love for you to jump in. Um, one of the things that I, and my husband is an English teacher, so I have to say that, um, 
but is really um, inviting children into narratives and acting out their own stories, writing their own stories, drawing their own stories. Um, and so this is nice because it can be a part of dramatic play, it can be part of the art center, it can be part of the writing center, it can be part of the science of you write a nature story, you know, like it can really cross different content areas. Um, but the children can make the story, they can make the costumes, they can make scenery, they can act it out. There's a lot of possibilities there. And again, it, you know, it's so fun to see where they go with that. I think, you know, and even if they're having a hard time kind of thinking about creating their own story from scratch, you know, it could be creating an alternate ending to a story that they've read. So what's another way that, that, that this story could end? And then that's really fun because you could see different children inventing different ends to the story. And you always get a little bit of a sneak peek into their lives. I feel like children's stories are always a little bit about their own parents or their um, own siblings. Or... Absolutely. My, my four-year-old is obsessed right now with, she really wants it to be Halloween and <laughs> tell lots of different Halloween stories. And then she's always jumping in with whatever, you know, the new costume is he wants to be or whatever. I think some of it is, you know, thinking about what kinds of fun hands-on materials do you provide? And then children, you know, by nature will go and create things. Um, and so, you know, boxes, sticks, <laughs> um, those kinds of things. Like, and then I just ask those questions of, oh, I have these new materials. What do you want to make? How will you make that? What do you, what kind of things are you going to need? you know, getting them sort of thinking about what can they make and what can they invent from those materials. And then that leads you nicely into planning of, okay, so you want to make a tent. Okay, how are you going to make that? What, what are the steps that you need to take there? It'll amaze you every time with some, making something so much better than you would have ever come up with. <laughs> I'm like, how did you? Seriously, I, I think that's it. Like, they'll, they will come up with a lot of amazing things if you really let them. Um, this one always goes totally differently at my house whenever I'm like, we're going to go outside on a walk. Um, where do you want to go? What do you want to look for? And, you know, one day it's rocks are treasure. And then next day we're fairies looking for flowers. And, you know, how do you collect that? And then what do you do with it when you come back? So do you, um, the rocks became a bird's nest at my house. Um, you know, so then, then that again becomes the, can be this much larger thing of we've done this and then we can start to integrate and then we can say okay remember when we got these things what art do you want to make with it um, so there's lots of, of creating and concept development opportunities there one of the other things you know that I think we don't think about so much is the the teacher planning every everything out and especially as the kids are getting to be four and five you know starting to really engage them in that planning process more for the classroom so it might be okay, we're having a new theme and we want to decorate the classroom. How could they actually be involved in that so that mm -hmm. it's not the teacher doing everything, but that's, that's your day is, oh, we're studying ocean animals. How could we make our room look like an ocean? What would we need? Where should we put this? How are we going to hang this? Oh, we um, have been having a problem around you know, children saying unkind words to each other. Okay, well, let's brainstorm a solution to that. Mm -hmm. um, what are the rules that we need at our classroom? What are ways that we can show kindness? What are um, some of the things that we want to make sure that we do say to each other? 
to make sure that everyone feels safe in the classroom. What should we study next? How, where do we need to go first? Where should we look for information for, for whatever that topic is? So, you know, it's really, you might have a general idea as the, as the teacher of, okay, this is sort of our topic, but, you know, you can start to leave it more open for where might the children want to go with that. And this gives them such an opportunity to communicate with each other and to practice every other strategy of they're now having time to, to think and brainstorm in their own head, but also practicing how do you communicate that to your friends and how do you listen to their ideas and you know, be kind if you don't like their idea. And it gives opportunity to practice lots of other skills as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and it hits on so many other dimensions too. So, um, you know, if you think about instructional learning formats and that, you know, that then the teacher can be really involved and facilitate that conversation with the students and language for them, the regard for them and having them actually, you know, be like them taking the lead in those lessons. Like there's lots of opportunities if we kind of, I think some of just IS in general is, is challenging ourselves to let go of and I'm doing air quotes of teacher, <laughs> you know, like our traditional teaching of like, I'm giving you information and really figure out how to draw it from the children. And, and that creates a lot of opportunities for growth in, in instructional support. I guess, and one last thought, um, I realized the other day that we were talking about like our plan for a Saturday. And I realized that my four-year-old kind of gave me a look and I was like, do you know what plan means? Mm. No. <laughs> And so I was like, oh, okay. So plan is like when we think about what we want to do and figure out what time are we going to do it? Who's going to be there? You know, we're thinking through all the steps um, or something, some sort of explanation like that. And so I, I think it's important to help to remember to take a step back and say, do they know what planning is? Do they know what brainstorming is? Do they know what inventing is? Oh my gosh, let's have a unit on inventing wow, <laughs> that would be amazing. And what can you invent? What does it mean to be an inventor? Um, and, so, and so I think um, making sure that we let students know what that is and then just really support them as they go. And this is where in my head, I now like, I want to be in a classroom so I can be like, okay, it's brainstorm time. And all the kids make thunder sounds and like flash their hands with lightning. And <laughs> I think that is a perfect note to end on. Everyone has lots of um, thunder and lightning going on in their head, hopefully <laughs> ways that they can, can bring some of this back into their own classrooms or coaching conversations. Yeah, I'm so excited. That's where I'll talk about IS any day. So. Thank you for joining us for Teaching with Class. We'll be back with more instructional support and tips for heading back to school. Until then, log into the class learning community to tell us how we're doing and what topics you'd like us to cover next. Mm -hmm.